to kindergarten ready, what really matters. Kindergarten Ready is a podcast about child development in the first five years. Here, we'll try to uncover what really matters and just what it means to be kindergarten ready. Greetings all, I'm Dr. Jean Ouellette, researcher, director of the Language Literacy Learning Lab, and professor of psychology at Mount Allison University. On this episode of Kindergarten Ready, What Really Matters, we take on a topic that has relevance not only for the entire birth to five age range of this show, but arguably throughout our entire life. After our past few episodes and their focus on perception, cognition, and language, time to shift to the social-emotional domain and development. Yes, this episode, let's talk about attachment. We'll start with the history and the science behind attachment and finish with some parenting practices. But along the way, we'll learn that attachment theory and attachment and practice are not always the same thing. Huh? Stay tuned and hopefully we can make sense of it all. Okay, next we come to a huge area in developmental research and one that many people seem to have a great interest in. That is the concept of attachment and how that relates to our development. Back in the episode on stress and COVID-related coping, I mentioned that the number one protective factor for a child was to have a secure emotional base and how that was related to attachment. So today, let's do a deep dive into the topic of attachment and attachment theory in particular. Q question one. What is it? Perhaps some historical context will help here uh, with the definition. Attachment theory has its roots in the work of an English psychiatrist, John Bowlby, who in the 1930s worked with children and noticed there seemed to be a connection between issues that some of these children were having and the type of parenting that they were receiving, particularly not overly affectionate or even as he described, non-existent caregiving. He came to believe that a primary caregiver served an important purpose for the social-emotional development of a child, and that the child needed this warm, intimate influence to develop successfully. According to Bowlby, babies form attachments with caregivers. This is a definition directly from Joan Bowlby from over 50 years ago. Attachment is a strong, affectionate tie, a close emotional relationship where the child is comforted by nearness and has a desire to maintain proximity. Hmm. Seems to match what I think most people may think of as attachment. He further described attachment as, and I quote, a lasting psychological connectedness between human beings, end quote. If we go back a little further, you know what? It was actually Freud. Now, he doesn't get much credit here, but it was Freud who originally stressed that it was your relationship with your mother that provides a foundation for subsequent relationships in life. Now, obviously, Freud went off the rails a little bit with that one and took it you know, to places that we don't want to go, but he was among the first to put that spotlight on the importance of our earliest relationship and bonding. But Freud and later behaviorists still linked attachment to feeding and meeting a physical need. Some of the earliest behavioral theories even suggested that attachment was simply a learned behavior. These theories basically said that attachment was the result of the feeding relationship between the child and the caregiver. Because the caregiver feeds the child and provides nourishment, the child becomes attached because they need the food source. 
The field of evolutionary psychology would describe this as an adaptive process. That is, attachment to a caregiver increases our chances for survival. But Bowlby saw attachment as more than meeting a physical need for food. And this was all driven home by a now very famous study with baby monkeys. If you've ever taken a psychology class, you probably have seen the famous pictures of a very sad-looking baby monkey clutching what looks like some sort of robot wire mesh mother surrogate. These pictures come from a series of experiments by H. Harlow that demonstrated how such bonds emerge and the powerful impact they have on behavior and functioning. In a nutshell, this is what happened. He tested the importance of feeding in early relationships by separating infant monkeys from their mothers. That's why they look so sad. There were different experimental conditions, but basically there were two types of possible fake moms, both with the same face, both made of wire, but one just had the wire and a bottle sticking out of it for feeding, while the other one was kind of cuddly. It had like a shag rug kind of covering to it. In some conditions, the baby monkeys were fed by the wire mom. Sometimes they were fed by the cuddly mom. But you know what? It didn't matter. It didn't matter where the food source was, all the infant monkeys appeared to attach to the cuddly mom. While the infant monkeys would go to the more wiry mom just to obtain food, they spent most of their days with the soft, cloth-covered mother. When frightened, the baby monkeys would turn to their cloth-covered mother for comfort and apparent security. Harlow's work demonstrated that early attachments were the result of receiving comfort and care from a caregiver not just simply the result of bonding to ensure access to food. And if you haven't seen those pictures, it might be worth a Google. They are quite heart-wrenching photos. Okay, enough with the monkeys. Back to humans. What Bowlby observed in his clinical practice was that even receiving feedings and having their physical needs met did not diminish the emotional issues that were being experienced by his clients. And he found that when children were frightened or feeling anxious, just like in the baby monkey study, they would seek proximity from their primary caregiver in order to receive comfort and care. Fast forward a bit and into the 1950s, Mary Ainsworth joined Bowlby in England. A decade later, back in North America, she began to study and document different kinds of relationship patterns between children and their mothers that were based upon how babies responded to separations and reunions with their mom. She created what is now a famous procedure that's actually still used in the research world in which caregivers and babies were evaluated in terms of their interactions, how they reacted when separated, how they reacted when reunited, and whether the child responded differently to their caregiver versus a stranger. The result? An identification of different possible attachment profiles, with the most ideal one being termed secure attachment. When babies have a secure attachment, they play and explore freely from the secure base of their mother's presence. When the mother leaves, the baby often might become distressed, especially when a stranger is nearby. But when the mother returns, the baby reacts in a positive way, sometimes from a distance and sometimes reaching out to be picked up and held. They're more easily soothed by their caregiver than a stranger. It should be made clear that babies vary, of course. They have different personalities or early temperament. And even within a secure attachment profile, you might see slightly different type of behaviors. But these were the overall characteristics associated with so-called secure attachment. In 1979, Ainsworth coined what is now called the caregiving hypothesis. And that is that the initial attachment between a child and a caregiver depends more on the caregiver and the type of parenting received 
than the child. Interestingly, parents who describe their own childhood as one of secure attachment tend to provide parenting that is sensitive and promotes attachment. And this is all referred to as attachment theory. Okay, so if you're with me so far, the central theme of attachment theory is that primary caregivers who are available and responsive to an infant's needs allow the child to develop a sense of security. The infant knows that the caregiver is dependable, which creates a secure base for the child to then explore the world. Now, this initial research was done with moms. Since that time, research has been done with dads and other family members and types of caregivers as well. So what does secure attachment look like? Well, initially, the first couple of months are often referred to as the pre-attachment stage. Babies may have quiet, alert states. They're interested in the faces and voices around them. And their signals, such as crying and fussing, naturally attract the attention of a caregiver and the baby's positive responses encourage the caregiver to remain close. By four to eight months, attempts to soothe the baby usually work more reliably. Although, of course, once again, we have to note there's huge individual variability that is differences between babies in this respect. But what we see during this time of development is that the baby and primary caregiver have pleasant back and forth interactions and the baby begins to discriminate amongst people and shows preferences. Some developmental models posit that this doesn't happen to seven, eight months of age. And before that time, it might be what's referred to as indiscriminate attachment. And then after that time, babies begin to show preferences for primary and secondary caregivers. But I think you'll find many parents will tell you that this happens much earlier. Regardless, what's happening is that infants are developing trust that their caregiver will respond to their needs. While they still accept care from others, they start to distinguish between familiar and unfamiliar people and respond more positively to their primary and secondary caregivers. This is what's referred to as discriminant attachment, where you can observe a preference and a bonding beginning to happen. In research and in clinical work, this is thought to emerge around 8 to 11 months of age. But again, many parents will indicate that they see the signs earlier. What's happening is that infants are showing a strong attachment and preference for specific individuals. They will protest when separated from the primary attachment figure. That's separation anxiety. And by the way, it's actually a positive thing in the first two years of life as it actually indicates secure attachment. Infants will begin to display anxiety around strangers as well. That's stranger anxiety. And again, the initial research was all done with moms, but now we know you can be attached to more than one caregiver. It's thought that at approximately nine months of age, children are able to form strong emotional bonds with other caregivers beyond the primary attachment figure. And this may include the father, older siblings, and other caregivers that may be present in the child's life. Okay, I think this all makes sense, but you may then ask, Why does it matter? Consider that caregivers who foster a secure attachment are responsive, warm, loving, and emotionally available. As a result, babies grow to be confident in their caregiver's ability to handle feelings and their emotional needs. The babies then feel free to express their positive and negative feelings openly and don't develop defenses against unpleasant emotions. We know from research and clinical psychology that a secure attachment has at least three functions. It provides a sense of safety and security. It regulates emotions by soothing distress, creating positive emotions, and it offers a secure base from which to explore. These are all clearly positive things. A publication that's available online through UC Berkeley quotes a developmental psychologist from the Institute of Child Development at the University of Minnesota as saying, and I quote, 
Nothing is more important than the attachment relationship. End quote. I mean, you can't get a more glowing endorsement than that. One of the most important and somewhat paradoxical findings is that secure attachment early in life leads to greater independence later, whereas an insecure attachment can lead children to be more dependent later in life. Research also suggests that the failure to form secure attachments early in life can have a negative impact on behavior in later childhood and throughout life. Research has shown that children with a secure attachment history are more likely to develop a greater sense of self-agency, better emotional regulation, better coping under stress, more independence in academic achievement, better social competence, closer friendships in middle childhood and adolescence, and even more trusting and positive romantic relationships into adulthood. Whew, that was quite the list. And of course, we have to have the same disclaimer as before. Personality will interact with these outcomes. Not all kids or people are the same, of course. But these are reliable research findings. The impact of attachment is long-lasting. I have a colleague here who has a clinical practice dealing with adults and relationship issues, and she explores with her clients their own attachment profiles from their past, and she uses that as a basis for understanding their current adult functioning. While attachment styles displayed in adulthood are not necessarily the same as those seen in infancy, early attachments can have a serious impact on later relationships. I mean, how cool is that? Clinical work with children has also shown that children diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, or even post-traumatic stress disorder frequently display attachment problems. When it comes to attachment theory, the relevance extends beyond the lab in the research world to clinical psychology. So I think hopefully by now you have an idea of what secure attachment looks like and what attachment theory is and why it's important. So if you're a regular listener, you should know what the next question is. What should we do about it? Well, considering the long-lasting importance of attachment, it makes sense to ask if there's ways to promote it. Well, it's pretty straightforward, actually. Being there as an emotional base, responding with care and empathy as a parent, meeting early emotional needs, especially in the first two years of life, that's what leads to a secure attachment profile. Many would describe this simply as quality caregiving. When caregivers respond quickly and consistently, children learn that they can depend on the people who are responsible for their care, which is the essential foundation for attachment. This is the vital factor. And this brings us to a movement called attachment parenting. The term attachment parenting was coined by pediatrician William Sears and his partner Martha Sears to refer to a parenting approach that emphasizes responding sensitively to the needs of babies and children. Sounds reasonable, but it gets complicated. They advocate for a collection of seven practices they call the baby bees. Birth bonding, breastfeeding, baby wearing, bedding close to baby, belief in the baby's cry, balance and boundaries, and beware of baby trainers. These attachment parenting principles may all be fine things on the surface, uh, but the question is, are they necessarily essential for secure attachment to develop? And actually, there's no evidence that they are predictive of a secure attachment. Huh? WTF? Why not? Well, remember in an earlier episode when I went on a tangent about research methods? 
when we look at best practices, be them in parenting, early childhood education, what have you, we can look at whether those practices are based in theory that has a strong research base. Rarely are the practices themselves tested in research. Often they can't be. You know, we can't take two families and have everything exactly the same between those families, but have them parent in different ways to see the impact. We can look at correlations in real life. We can look at quasi-experimental research where things have happened naturally, like looking at babies adopted from orphanages, for example. But in all these cases, we can't really isolate one variable, parenting, to study its impact on the child's attachment. Life in humans are just too complex and messy. So with that in mind, attachment parenting seems to be based upon attachment theory, which is sound, but that doesn't necessarily mean all the applications are tested themselves. And so it's fair to say that there's really no conclusive body of research that the practices being advocated are all essential or even beneficial. And further, it's actually been questioned whether attachment parenting actually aligns with attachment theory. More about that later. For now, let's think about some of these practices. Take baby wearing, for example. It's actually a bit of a fad right now. You put your baby in a sling or you tuck it into your clothes and you carry them everywhere. Now, this gives uh, close contact and even possibly skin-to-skin contact, which we know is actually very beneficial not just for emotional development but also for physical development and can reduce crying. This is often recommended for premature infants uh, and it has been for years now, something called kangaroo care where you tuck the baby right into your own clothes. We know that it provides important physical and emotional stimulation. But is it necessary to do this all the time? Is that even a good idea? Well, it turns out what really matters for attachment is the caregiver's attunement. And what that means is how well they're tuned in to the emotional state and needs of their baby. Are they stressed or calm? Are they checked out or engaged? Are they reading the baby's signals? Are they in tune? There may be times that a baby doesn't want to be held close. There may be times when a baby seems to want some space or some independence. So is close physical proximity and even skin-to-skin contact a good thing? Absolutely. Should it be done constantly? Mm, Maybe not. Another area advocated by attachment parenting is that of emotional responsiveness. And this is one practice that aligns best with scientific attachment theory. Babies grow best when their feelings are taken into account. But well-meaning parents might overdo it, believing they need to meet the child's every request, which can be exhausting and even counterproductive. In contrast, research on secure attachment shows that in the flow of everyday life, misattunements happen a lot, oftentimes more than attunement actually. What this means is that there are many times in a day when a parent or caregiver and a child are not actually on the same page. And what's important is to be able to recognize when this is happening and then be able to adopt the proper tone and emotional stance to meet the baby's needs. This has led some to suggest that Sears maybe wasn't actually matching the definition of secure attachment from research and theory. Seems like he was talking more about a closeness or tightness. Tightness and secure attachment are not really the same. A tight attachment, meaning that you're together all the time, might actually not be secure. It may lead to anxious or avoidant behavior even, which are types of insecure attachment. So what many may see as attachment in attachment parenting might not actually be secure attachment as defined in the research world and clinical psychology. It might not be what we're talking about in attachment theory. Does that make sense? 
Hopefully it does. Another recommendation of attachment parenting, which merits some mention here, is the one of co-sleeping. That is, you share a bed with your baby. That's actually not recommended by most medical associations, actually probably all medical associations, due to an increased risk of respiratory or overheating issues. It's actually been connected with SIDS, or Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, which is obviously a horrendous outcome. So that is something that's strongly advised against. So let's go back to the earlier question anyhow. How do we foster attachment then? Well, parents use their own empathy, perspective taking, inference, and intuition to discern the needs of the baby. And the behaviors that parents are inclined to do naturally, like eye contact and face-to-face interaction, baby talking and holding, well, those are exactly the ones shown to grow the neural regions in the baby's brain that influence emotional development. It is through the reading of each other that the parent and the child synchronize their energy, their emotions, and their communication. What seems most important is that a baby develops a generalized trust that their caregiver will respond and meet their needs, and that when mismatches occur, the caregiver will fix them. This is the flow of attunements, mismatches, and repairs alluded to earlier, and this is what offers the optimal amount of connection and stress for a baby to develop both confidence and coping skills. Okay, and finally, a word about daycare. The focus on attachment has led many to be concerned over the years about daycare, and in particular, whether or not having a child in daycare would somehow impede the attachment bonding process. Available data do indicate that for most children, parental attachment is not disrupted by daycare participation. However, it should be noted this research tends to rely on really large data sets that may obscure individual patterns. For example, what happens when the child is not at daycare is obviously hugely important. Home variables such as maternal sensitivity, parental satisfaction, overall emotional tone of the home, well, these are the strongest predictors of parent-child attachment, even for daycare children. So research indicates that children can create secure attachment relations with their parents, even in daycare, so long as that same type of attachment-promoting parenting is followed when the parents are with the children. There's some research as well that indicates that children can create secure attachment with daycare providers. In fact, for some children, uh, those coming from less than ideal home environments, secure attachments with caregivers and daycare can actually compensate for the adverse effects of insecure parent-child relations at home. There has been some research showing that among very young children, especially those under the age of two, When they have less sensitive and attentive parenting at home, coupled with 30 or more hours per week in non-parental care, there can be some negative outcomes. Increased or moderate elevations in risk for later developmental difficulties in areas such as peer relations, compliance, and yes, attachment. When you look at attachment theory, one thing is clear. The first two years of life are critical. And this realization is really the driving force behind the movement that we see around the globe of governments trying to make it more feasible to have a primary caregiver in the home for those first few years of life. And this is done, of course, through subsidized or paid leave following the birth of a child. Regardless of your situation, the key is to be a responsive, available caregiver and focus not on 100% proximity necessarily, but learning to read a baby and be in tune with their needs. Research and experiences from the field of clinical psychology tell us what is really important 
is that the baby develops a generalized trust that their caregiver will respond and meet their needs, or that when mismatches occur, the caregiver will repair them. As I said already, not too long ago actually, it is this flow of being in tune, having a mismatch, and then having to repair. This is what develops attachment. And with that repeated, let's call it a show. I mean, it is a show, so let's call it that. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and I appreciate your continued help to spread the word about our little podcast. Please tell your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, anyone who'll listen, and maybe even some people who aren't listening to you. Positive reviews on iTunes are always welcome. Less positive ones, uh, you know, you can keep those to yourself. Uh, Okay, you can email them to me if you really feel the need to get them off uh, your chest. How's that for attunement? Until next time, everybody, cheers. You've been listening to Kindergarten Ready, What Really Matters, a podcast about child development in the first five years. Kindergarten Ready is a production of the Language Literacy Learning Lab. For more information about the show, check us out at www.kindergartenreadywhatreallymatters.com. Kindergarten Ready!